Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. God is good, right? All the time. I mean, there has been a theme so far through uh, through the service and uh, those worship songs. You know, God sees us and he's good to us, right? Right? Maybe I can hear Facebook Live, right? <laughs> All right, I heard it. Maybe we ought to do that orange power type chant, see who's loudest, Facebook Live or here. See, see if we can get them participating. Yeah, probably that type of thing, all caps. All right. But God is good. And uh, it's, it, it always amazes me how God puts things together. Uh, again, without knowing that first song, just, uh, you know, it, it just really ministered to me. Um, because it's in line with uh, all of them, really. But it was in line with what God put on my heart uh, to share. And um, we'll get into that. If you'll just join me in a brief word of prayer, we'll just, we'll just pray and we'll just see what God has to say for us today, say to us today. Father God, uh, we just thank you for the work that you're doing uh, in our hearts this morning, Lord. Father, we acknowledge, we acknowledge you as God alone. There's no one beside you. No one could be above you. There's not even anyone beside you. You alone are God. And we declare our trust in you. We believe in you. We have faith in you, Father God, because you are faithful and you love us and you're for us. And regardless of our circumstances, Lord, you are good and you love us and you are for us. And so, Father God, we give our hearts to you this morning. We are open to receive what it is. You would share with us today, Lord, uh, and that we might glorify you and faithful obedience in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to start in uh, Psalm 33. I'll come back to 33 at the end of the message. But uh, I wanted to start in Psalm 33. And then we'll move on from there to Genesis 16. But it, interestingly enough, the title of today's message is The God Who Sees Me. How many of you know one of the names of God is Jehovah Rohi? The God Who Sees Me. And I don't know what your, what your situation is and what your struggle is and what you've been going through. But it's my prayer that your heart is open to God as he speaks to you to let you know that though it may seem like you're alone, though it may seem like God is distant and not there, that he sees you and he's with you. Psalm 33, verses 13 to 15, and today it's, it's, it's a little bit different for me. I'm preaching out of the NIV this morning instead of the ESV, which I typically do. I know, I know, brother, pray for me. Pray for me. <laughs> but it says from heaven from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth he who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do how much of mankind does God see from heaven is there ever a time then that he doesn't see you? Is that what we tell ourselves? <laughs> you know, it's important that we battle against the natural mind, that we battle against those negative emotions that would cause us to go into doubt, fear, and belief. We battle against them with the truth of God's word. That we not allow what we feel to drown out what we know to be true. But that we pull down those things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And we elevate and exalt the truth of God's word. Because that's, that, it, that is truth. That is where our faith is based. Amen? So we will either walk in faith 
or we will walk in the flesh, right? Or we'll walk in fear. And we are of the children of God who are to walk not by sight, but by what? Faith. And my Bible tells me that God sees all mankind. So he sees me. He watches all who live on earth. All. So he's watching you. And he considers everything we do. That's a lot there, isn't it? We're going to talk about someone who is not necessarily praised in Scripture, but is still a uh, significant person, Hagar. Let's move to Genesis chapter 16, and we'll go through the first 16 verses, and we'll see what God wants to say to us through that. And I'll start with the first verse. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So he said, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. You foolish, foolish man. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar, Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And he says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Now, I'm thinking about this. Remember, God had given Abraham a promise. Well, he's Abram at this point. But he's given Abram a promise. That he was going to give him a son. And through that son was going to be fulfilled the promise that he was going to be the father of many nations. A year goes by. Two. Five. It's been 10 years since that promise. And understandably, Sarai comes up with an idea that, you know what? I can imagine how that conversation goes. You know what? God said that you were going to be the father of many nations. He didn't necessarily say I was going to be the mother of many nations. So maybe, maybe... God's going to fulfill that promise a different way. And there was a custom that allowed for surrogate motherhood. I'm not going to speak about the godliness of that because there is no such thing. But there at least was a custom. And, so, you know, and there comes a time when we start off strong, we believe, we know we heard from God, and but the passage of time can cause a weakening or waning of the faith in what God said. And all of a sudden, our understanding, you know, remember Proverbs uh, says about lean not on your own understanding, when all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. After time can cause our own understanding to creep in and we begin to second guess and we begin to think, okay, it's been a, it's been a while. So, Let's rethink this. Maybe we can help God out a little bit. Maybe we, we erred in thinking that God meant that the promised child was going to come through Abraham and his covenant wife coming together and bearing a child. 
And oftentimes when we get into that mindset where we start leaning into our understanding, really we start wavering away from faith and we start going down a path that is that will lead to destruction. So that's how I can see her justifying it. And I imagine from that culture how painful it must have been to her. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to uh, condemn Sarai. I'm not here uh, to criticize. Um, I try to put myself in the situation of these characters and, 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 and see what they must be going through in that moment. You know, it could not have been an easy thing for a wife who desperately desires to bear a child to her husband to come to the, to be resigned to say, you know what, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's been 10 years. I don't, maybe it wasn't through me. Why don't you come together with my servant and maybe the family and the promise that God has for you, my husband, is to be made possible by another woman. I mean, think of what the pain, the pain that must have accompanied those words from her. This is not something that she thought of lightly that she took for granted. It had to hurt to utter those words. Are you hearing me? And so I, and so I empathize with her in that. You know, it doesn't change the fact that it's rooted in unbelief, but I can empathize with how she got there. You know, because even in that, there was a shame, whether right or wrong, there was a shame in not being able to produce children. There's pain and shame and resignation. Even though she's thinking about the promise of God, she gets to the point to where she puts herself on the outside looking in, that even though she's in covenant relationship with Abram, she puts herself outside of the fulfillment of that promise. And so I wanted to park there for a little bit just to get us thinking in that line. While I empathize with her, it doesn't change the fact that it was a sin of unbelief. That it's against God's plan of marriage. I can tell you with absolute certainty that if push came to shove, if the only way to continue the canon name was for me to be with another woman, the canon clan would die before Christy would agree with that. The canon clan would be dead. It just would not happen. It would die with me, you know, and I'll just have to be okay with that, <laughs> right? So I wouldn't have to worry about Christy coming up here with, uh, with that idea. And I'm not sure how much of it would be spirit or flesh, but, but, uh, I know I would get a definite, get out of here with that. But that could not have been good for their marriage. And when it says that uh, when Hagar saw that she was pregnant, she despised her master, she despised Sarai, you know, it was a great honor, you know, to be able to bear a son, to be able to bear a child, right, to someone who is status, someone who is wealthy. And yet, as Sarai's slave, she's, once she got pregnant, there was no doubt at that point where the problem was between Abram and Sarai. That Sarai was the one who was infertile and couldn't give him children. And so when it says despise, I believe she began to look at Sarai. It's like, wait a minute. So I'm doing all the work here and you're going to get esteemed. This is going to be to your credit. I deserve to be in your place. I should be elevated. I'm the one that's 
You know, I'm the one that got pregnant. I'm the one that's going to go through the labor. I'm the one that's going to bear the child. And so she began to see uh, Sarai as something less than her. And Sarai picked up on that. Women are very sharp when it comes to these things. And uh, she picked up on that, and that led to an intense moment of fellowship between her and Abram. And Abram says in verse 6, hey, I get, sweetheart, I get it. Your slave is in your hands. In other words, do what you want to do. Do what you feel is best. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. And Hagar fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, he asked a great question. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Boy, God's ways sure are not our ways, is it? His thoughts are not our thoughts. She's being mistreated. And the Lord tells her, go back and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all brothers. She gave his name to the Lord who spoke to her. Um, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. It goes back to our opening verse. Here she is under Abram's home. She knows Abram's relationship with God, the covenant that he has with God. And, and so she cannot help but have observed that. And But I have to imagine the cry of her heart. I wonder if God sees me. I know he's with Abraham and Sarai. He's blessed them. He answers every prayer. He helps them conquer every challenge, every enemy. But what about me? I'm just a lowly slave that was made into a surrogate mother. And yet in this moment, after being mistreated by Sarai, feeling like she had no other option because God doesn't see her and doesn't care about her, she flees from Sarai and the, and the abuse that she was, and the humiliation that she was receiving at her hand. And she runs, and she finds herself wandering in the wilderness. How many of you feel at times that you're just, you're running from your problems, you're running from your issues, and before you know it, you're wandering in the wilderness of life? You know, you, you, you're running from something, not sure that you're running to something. You don't know where you're going. You just know that you want away from the thing that has burdened you, has burdened your soul, has burdened your heart. And the angel of the Lord asked her that question, where are you coming from and where are you going? And I believe that that's a question that God wants to ask us here today. Are we running from something? Are we running from a situation that God wants us to submit to? Are we wandering in the wilderness? Because all we're focusing on is avoiding something and not pressing into God and letting God speak to us and direct us as to what he would have us do and where he would want us to go. Because if we're not running to God, then what we're doing is we're aimlessly wandering in the wilderness. And I, and, 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 I, and I believe that in, in that sense, we can relate 
whether that's now or a season of life you just come out of, God wants to speak to you. Wants to, wants you to, wants to speak to you today. He met her in the wilderness. He met her in her wandering. He spoke to her in the in the recesses of her heart, spoke right to the issue that she was dealing with. Asked her that question. And then I love, I love what he did. Now, he could have just said Hagar, but Hagar, slave of Sarai. Where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from Sarai. She didn't, she didn't answer where she's going because she wasn't going anywhere. She was just running from Sarai. And I think it's important for us to recognize the fact that, uh, the fact that whether or not we're pursuing or we are purposefully aiming and striving for something or whether we're just aimlessly going about focusing more on where we're trying to get away from rather than where we're trying to go and what we're trying to achieve. And we, let, we need to let God meet us where we're at and be honest about where we're at and allow him to direct us, give us purpose and direction as to what he would have us do to get in line with his will for our lives. And he says this. She says, I'm just running away. I have no idea where I'm going, but I know where I'm going, where I'm leaving. The angel of the Lord said, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Can you imagine? Implicit in that word submit, is humble yourself. Because part of the reason she left, you know, that whole thing started with her pride. Now, I will say this, and it's the uh, unfortunate plight of a slave. Uh, I'll rewind the tape further back than that. It started with her life not being her own, and decisions being made for her that she would not have made for herself. Her being, you know, it being imposed upon her. Sarah could decide for her that she would allow Abram to inseminate her, impregnate her so that she can have a child for Sarai. She's just somebody who's there to meet somebody else's need regardless of the impact, the emotional, psychological, physical impact on her. I mean, how many of us have felt taken advantage of, have felt unvalued, have, you know, have felt that people perceive us as just a means to their end? And so that's what started all of this. And then that pride wells up once she's pregnant now, all of a sudden, she real, not only does she have a disdain for her master, now she's like, I've been able to do that, which you haven't been able to do. So not only do I not appreciate your disregard for me, you know, I ought to have your position. And so there's pride that wells up. And so when you got when you've been taken advantage of and you've got this pride issue, the only solution you can see in that point rather than, you know, thinking about God being there, it's like, you know what, I got to get out from under this. I, I, I Forget this. I don't deserve this. I'm leaving. But when he says, I want you to go back and I want you to submit to her, she's going to have to humble herself in order to do that. How many of you know submission is not easy? Submission is hard. That is, you know, that's one of the things that when um, that that you don't, that's one of those subjects you try to avoid in couples devotionals. Right? (laughs) Right? Because, you know, uh, we'll get a different translation, you know, it's like, 
you know, a, 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 a husband would like to find a translation, wife, submit to your husband. And a wife would be like, nah. forget that. Right? And so we battle there because it's hard. But the Bible also says that man should be submitted to God. The Bible also says as believers, we should be submitted to one another. Right? Abram had to submit when his wife said, you know what, that, that slave woman and her child, they've got to go. Abraham was discouraged by that, but God said, listen to your wife. He had to submit to her in that. Right? This is not a one-sided submission thing. But in the order of God, you know, husband is the head, and there is a submission that is required to, out of respect of the headship, the God-ordained headship. But he didn't tell you to submit to sin. If that husband ain't submitted to God, that don't mean you're supposed to follow him in that un- in his not being submitted to God. I didn't get any amens, but it's true. Come on, men. I got a couple amens from the women. Y'all don't like that? You want to be followed no matter what, huh? <laughs> no, but, you know, uh, uh, when, when Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who gave himself for it, that he might present it to himself, a bride without spot or wrinkle. You better realize the heaviness of that. Because he didn't just say love your wife the best you can. He said love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? That same Christ that says I only do what I see my father do, I only say what I hear him say. The same one that learned obedience through the things that he suffered, right? So the, he was focused solely on his bride, obeying his father, but, but redeeming his bride. Not lording over her, husbanding her, right? Loving her, giving himself for her. Being a vehicle, a vehicle, not the sole one, a vehicle through which God can, 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 um, can, can grow her, mature her into the fullness of what he's called her to be. Recognizing, acknowledging, and respecting the call of God on her life. as well but I digress go back to your mistress and submit to her I and he gives a promise I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count he gave this pregnant woman who is wandering in the wilderness, not only a command, but a promise, Uh, a a hope, A, a reason to hope, a reason to believe, hope and a future. And I believe God wants to do that to you. If you find yourself in your own wilderness in life today, if these words are pricking your heart and you realize, you know what? I am kind of aimlessly wandering about. I have just been running from something or someone. I'm in a season of life that I don't really see much purpose in what I'm doing. I'm not hearing clearly as to what God would have me do and, and, uh, and, and and I need God to meet me where I'm at. I hope that's your, I hope that's your, uh, uh, your decision is that you recognize I need for God to meet me where I'm at and give me that revelation that God sees me. And after he gave her that command and gave her that promise, this same woman, Wandering in the wilderness says of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God.
who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lachai Rohi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And, and before, we're, we're going to go on to uh, uh, Genesis 21. But before we do that, thinking about this story, Abram and Sarai got the result. They got a successful result. They got the result that they planned for. They got the kid. And I think that that ought to be a, a warning to us, right? That not, not to overvalue results. Because the flesh produces stuff too, right? We can get what we want and that'd be the last thing that we needed. Right? They got what they wanted. They got results. But results don't justify in themselves what we do before God. Right? I hope y'all agree with that. They got a baby out of the deal. How many times we'll say something, well, they got a baby out of the deal, must have been God's will. Well, not specifically about a baby, but how many times we get a result, hey, you know what? They got a new car out of the deal, must have been God's will, right? They got whatever, must have been God's will. You know, there was a, you know, uh, uh, years ago, Christy and I was in a was in a ministry, and I was in leadership in there, and we had a ministry leader who was in sin. And when we tried to talk with him about that, he was like, "Well, uh, I must not be in sin. Look, look how many people are being blessed. People are getting healed. God said, all this good thing that's going on. If I was in the wrong, they wouldn't. This wouldn't be happening. And it was total deception. It all hit the fan eventually." And it didn't have to be to his shame if he was willing to repent and not use excuses to say, look, God is blessing this ministry. How? How could I be in the wrong? We, we, we must not deceive ourselves uh, with results. Because the flesh, John uh, 6 says, the flesh profits or benefits nothing, but it sure as heck produces stuff. Right. And and we, and we 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 don't want the flesh to be producing anything. We want to be producing the fruit of the spirit. Right. So walking in the flesh may get results, but we might be sorry we got them. So. Um, let's let's go on to Genesis 21 and we'll just start at the 14th verse. Now, Sarai left Abram's I'm not Sarai. Hagar left Abram's house twice. In chapter 16, she ran from the cruelty of Sarai. In chapter 21, she left not because she wanted to, but Sarai said she got to go. And while it displeased Abram, God said, listen to your wife. And God let him know, basically, look, don't worry. I, I, I know he's your son and you're concerned about him. But what God's really saying, you're not, you're not her or his source though. I am. And, and they may not, they don't have to be under your house for me to take care of them. God said, and we got to realize that whether it's by, about our children, whether it's about our, uh, the, the companies that we own or the ministries that, 
that we're a part of, that we got to recognize and remind ourselves who the source of it, all right? Unless the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain, right? And so God is our source and our sustainer, right? And so, and so he, tell, he tells Abraham, no, go ahead and do it. I'll take care of them, all right? Um, don't worry about it. And so verse 14, chapter 21, verse 14, we'll pick it up right there. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. <laughs> so he gave her a skin of water and some bread or some food. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert desert of Beersheba. Just wandered in the desert for how long? I do not know. But when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. As she sat there, she began to sob. So there they are. She was in the wilderness the first time. She's in the desert now. <laughs> uh, and we could be in any of those seasons of life. Both, both aren't really good, right? She's in the desert. And one thing you really need when you're in the desert is water. The food ran out. The water ran out. They reached the end of the provision that Abram, that Abraham provided for them. At this point, um, Ishmael is probably about 14, so he's not a baby, but, uh, you know, he's a young teen, and he must not have been doing very well physically at this point, because she lays him down, and she goes a bow shot away, because she says, I cannot see him die. Neither of them had to be doing very well, but you can imagine the torment that she was feeling. I cannot watch the boy die, and she sat there, and she began to sob. The first time she was in a similar situation, she was a running away from something. And the Lord met her, gave her hope. And just to show you how circumstances can make us forget the promises of God, God gave her a promise 14 years earlier. He, he gave Abram a promise that there was going to be a son and that son, the lady told him that son's going to come through Sarai and he got Isaac. He also gave Hagar a promise concerning her son Ishmael. But you know sometimes circumstances can be so overwhelming they can beat us down to the point that the promise of God is the last thing we're thinking because you know, because what we're dealing with the inevitability of our demise or the inevitability of failure just is all over us. And it can cause us to forget what God has said. And we go into despair rather than putting ourselves in remembrance that, you know what? No, I will not despair. I will not fear. Because God has said to me that this child is going to be a great nation himself. And so, again, I'm not beating up on her. It's just the reality of the situation. She's reached the end of herself, and she is in despair, and she's resigned to what she believes is the inevitable death of her and her little boy. And she just began to sob. And the same angel of God that met her earlier when she ran away met her again in her sobbing state in the desert when she had been, instead of running away, she had been put out. And let's see what he says to her. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? It, it blows my mind sometimes, these questions that God asks as though he doesn't know, right? Like, he's sobbing, he's like, what's wrong? He said, what's the matter? 
Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So he'd already spoken that he would bless the child. Now he's reaffirming what he has said earlier. I'm going to make him into a great nation. Don't worry about it. Then, I love this, verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. You know, when God meets us, that encounter, we're in the depths of our despair. There is provision God has available to us that we're not able to see because we, you know, we don't have our faith lenses or our faith lids, uh, 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 operational. We got a blinder on to the provision of God there in the spirit because we're so occupied in our minds with the natural circumstances. Does that make sense? But God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. That was, think about it, it was the flask of water running empty that finally caused her to lay the boy down and get a bow throw away because in the desert, that was doomed. They were going to die. And there was a well of water. The provision was there. I want you to know that there is well of water there's provision where you're at in your desert and maybe maybe you're the one sitting with your back to a tree sitting in the uh, a, a dark cold room and thinking that this is it despairing where there was once hope that something might break through, you get to a point and you feel like I cannot, I can no longer ignore what seems to be the inevitable outcome here. I want you to know there's provision for you in the spirit. There's provision for you from God. And, and remember God sees all of mankind. God sees you. And you need to remember that God sees you. He knows you. He's in that situation with you. And what you need in that situation is to encounter him. Because in an encounter with him, it will restore your hope. It, 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 will, it will get your focus off of the circumstance and onto his presence and onto his truth and onto the promises of God and onto those things that will elevate you in your, in your faith and ability to trust God. All of a sudden, you're, you're, you're able to be aware of what God has provided for you in that desert of your life. God wants to open your eyes and reveal to you the well of water that's able to replenish and restore you in your desert. God was with the boy as he grew up, verse 20. He lived in the desert. See, he went from being uh, uh, about to die in the desert to living in the, in the desert. God it doesn't, God isn't necessarily automatically going to take you out of the desert. God can make you live and thrive there. If his will is for you to be there, then you can be, you can represent him well in the desert. I'll amen myself. But he grew up, he lived in a desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him. Uh, from Egypt. But I just wanted, Hagar recognized early on uh, during that experience when she ran that God is the God who sees her. And she has seen the one who sees her. And here she is in the desert. I don't know if she forgot. I can't really say that. Um, I'll be presumptuous of me to have an opinion one way or another. But it would seem that she did not 
She wasn't thinking about the God who sees her in the desert. And it can be that way sometime for us. You know, we have to be very intentional about encouraging ourselves in the Lord. We have to be very intentional about remembering what God has done for us and bringing that into our right now situation. Right. And encouraging ourselves with God is good. God does see me. God is for me. All right. God is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my redeemer. He will see me through. He is my Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides for me. We need to remember the faithfulness of God and, 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 and encourage ourselves that God is still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So that we not allow ourselves to get in despair because we're elevating the circumstance rather than exalting the Lord in our hearts and in our minds. Amen? And so I want to conclude going back to Psalm 33. And uh, I'll pray and, and bless you guys and, and we'll see how God wants to minister. But going back to Psalm 33, I read 13 through 15. I'll finish out with 16 to 22. I really love 16 through 19. Uh, I'll do that first, and then we'll do 20 to 22. It says, no king is saved by the size of his army. Now, this goes against conventional wisdom here, right? No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all his great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. I think that's a scripture we all need to know, we all need to highlight, we all need to uh, uh, keep ourselves in remembrance of. Uh, Hagar learned that, I, you know, I, I can't say that how much she, her hope was in his unfailing love. You know, we only have what we have scripture wise, but, but she learned his unfailing love in that situation, whether she was in hope or not before he met her where she was at and he blessed her and her son. And, uh, he was faithful to his word to her. Let's continue. Verse 20, we wait in hope. For the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. See, our hearts don't rejoice in outcomes. Our, our hearts shouldn't rejoice in expectations met. Our hearts need to rejoice in him for who he is and what he's done. Amen? His unfailing love for us. His unmerited favor toward us, our hearts, in him, our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. And, and, and again, and let's not get it twisted. We can, we can hope for things and, and we can want certain outcomes. But Jesus left us a great example in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he asked if there was another way, he knew all things were possible to his father before he went to the cross, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, but then he ended each time with, not my will, but yours be done. Right? And so, there it is. He told his disciples, you know, pray that you not enter into your time like this, because I'm telling you, the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. A lot of times when we're pursuing outcomes, we want, we want things to turn out a certain way and we might put God's name on it, but we're really, we're really feeding our own pride or our own flesh. The outcome, if we don't get that outcome, are we still able to rejoice in Him? If we're not, then that tells us that our rejoicing is not in Him. Right? And, and then we have to ask ourselves, are we asking God to endorse our plan or are we seeking to submit to his? 
All right? And so, and we're going to have to recognize as disciples, we better be doing the latter. We better be humbling ourselves and we better prioritize, okay, God, I want your plan, even if that plan brings discomfort to me. Okay? Even if that plan has some pain incorporated in it, I will rejoice in you that your will is, that your will is coming to pass on earth even as it is in heaven. I want to be able to relate to Jesus where Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Because it was the Father's will and the Father's great desire that we be redeemed, that we enter into the salvation of the Lord, that our names be written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. Right? That's the heart of God. Right? And, and, and we can have a lot of battles and a lot of fights, but but he commissioned us to proclaim the gospel so that those who are in deception and in darkness can see the light and come to Christ. It doesn't matter how many arguments we win if we're not rejoicing in what he rejoices in, Right? We, 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 we want to see people come to the Lord. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Uh, I'm not trusting in any of uh, man-made systems or anything else. Our trust is in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. I'm going to ask you to stand. Where is your hope? Where do you put your hope in? Where is your trust in today? I would encourage you not to allow your trust to be in someone or something that is temporal and that will fail you or let you down. Our trust is to not be in man-made things, man-made systems. Our trust is to not be in uh, uh, the things of this earth or any individual other than Christ on high. Our trust should be in the Lord. Our hope should be in him. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you to reflect. And I know we have a great church body. I'm so blessed. I feel, I feel a bit spoiled compared to, you know, what a lot of leaders have to deal with, you know. And, and so I'm not here. I'm not complaining to God about much of anything. But I do not take my, my responsibility to God lightly. And he gave us fivefold ministry for the edifying and building up of the church, right? That we grow into maturity, into, in, into unity in the faith, right? That we're not tossed about by uh, bad doctrine or or conspiracies and, and all other kind of nonsense that's out there. We're not, we don't, we're not swayed by that stuff. Because our hope and our trust is in the Lord. So just take a moment. And I will say, there may be somebody who may have crossed your mind that you might say, you know what, such and such really needs to hear this. You know, uh, I would challenge you to uh, scrap that thinking and instead personalize the message and say, God, what is it you're saying to me here? Uh, I'm here. I heard this message. I don't believe this is by happenstance, so I need this message. In some way, I need, I needed to hear what you preached through Pastor Cornell today, Father God. I need it. 
And Lord, open my eyes. If, 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 if I'm in the wilderness, meet me here, Lord. Be Jehovah Rohi to me, uh, the God that sees me. Let, let me be like Hagar. It's like, I have seen the one who sees me. If I'm running away from something, Father God, deal with me right here. Bring conviction on me and, and lead me to repentance. That instead of running from, from it, I go and I own it and I face up to it and I submit to you in it. Because in my submission to you, in my faithful obedience to you, is where you command the blessing. It's, it's, it's through that where the promise gets fulfilled. So let me not walk in, I'm still telling you what you, Lord, don't let me walk in deception. You know, if I'm in the de- if I'm in the wilderness, aimlessly running from something, but not, not running the race that you've marked out for me, reveal that to me. That I might humble myself and repent. And I would also do the second part of what Hagar experienced. If, if you're feeling abandoned, if you're feeling deserted, if you're feeling put out, and you're feeling like, you know, if, if, if you're feeling like you're in a desert season of your life, a desert place in your life, and you've gotten to the point to where you're despairing, That you don't believe God sees you. You don't believe God's there in it with you. That despite what God has said to you before, you're not thinking about that. You've declared your situation so bad that that it's over. That's called doubt. That's called fear. That's called unbelief. You're right. You're in the desert. Maybe for a while your hope and your trust extended only so, only so far as that flask of water still had water in it. But once the provision ran dry, your hope and your trust ran dry with it. God wants you to see him for who he is. He, he transcends circumstances. Nothing is impossible with him. He wants you to be able to trust him regardless of the circumstance. And if that's not you, then let that convict you this morning and let that be a focus of your prayer and let, you know, let, let that be an objective of yours. Like, like Lord, You know what? You're challenging me. I want to go deeper. I want to be able to be in the desert with the water run out and still believe that you're going to make provision available for me that, 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 that I don't, that I don't even see right now. I'm telling you in this day and time with so many things and so many voices that Tell us stuff that sound good, but it's really appealing to our flesh. It's really tickling our ears. It sounds good to us, but upon further and deeper examination, it is not of the Lord. If we're going to not waver and be tossed about, tossed to and fro by all of those schemes and tricky stuff, you know, if we're if we're not going to fall victim to that, it's going to be because we're doing the thing that I am preaching about today. That we're anchoring ourselves in the Lord. We're not allowing ourselves to put our hope and our trust in something. No matter how much we agree with it, it is not God. So, Father God, I lift up these people to you, Lord, your precious sons and daughters. Uh, Be they here in person uh, or listening online. Father God, that that they come to know you 
as the God who sees each and every one of them. As their personal Jehovah Rohi. And let them see you in light of who you really are. That they, like Hagar, can say, I have seen the God who sees me. And whereas I was in despair, he's given me a reason to hope. Man might abandon me, but but the one who sees me never will. Man might discard me, but the one who sees me, Jehovah-Rohi, never will. And Jesus even said that when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, Father, encourage us and bless us and really convict us, Father God. Let us, if that's where we're at, whether the desert or the wilderness, if that's where we're at, Meet us where meet us there where you met Hagar both times. Meet us there. Convict us. Let us not accept the doubt, fear, and unbelief. Let us not accept that which defies what we know to be true in you. But let us exalt you. Let us lift you up. Let us put our hope and trust in you that we might see the glory of God revealed in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.